0: This is the Work and With series, presented by your host Haley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Haley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their
1: superpower.
0: So I'm here today with Christine De La Rosa, who is the CEO and founder of The People's Dispensary. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Christine through one of our other podcast guests, Marcus Glover, who is the Chief Investment Relations Officer at The People's Dispensary. I loved their story and certainly wanted to hear more. So rather than me tell it, Christine, tell me all about The People's Dispensary. What is it?
1: Well, thank you so so much for having me on your podcast, first of all. Thanks to Marcus for getting us connected. The People's Dispensary is exactly what it sounds. It's a dispensary. It's a cannabis dispensary. Currently, we're located in California and in Oregon. We're looking to expand across states to the East Coast, all the way over there. And we sell cannabis. That's really the bottom line. We sell cannabis. All different types of cannabis. Flower cannabis. Tinctures. Tinctures drops, edibles, like any way in which you can configure cannabis, we sell it. So that's what we do.
0: What I love about your model is it's really unique around how it puts back into the community. Now, again, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Could you go into a little bit more detail around kind of the uniqueness of your your business model?
1: So, you know, we created this business. It was four friends. So there's four founders, all LGBTQ, 75% women, 75% people of color. And what we really knew as we built this dispensary from nothing, we didn't take any loans out, we didn't have any venture capital, it was just us, you know, pulling our coins together was that there's a lot of money in cannabis. Like, we were not before selling cannabis. We had other businesses, though. We we work as a group. We're called the Super Friends in Oakland because we've had a couple of restaurants. We've had retail shops and art galleries, and right now we have a salon. So we're always opening businesses. But we had never encountered a cannabis business. So we had no idea it was so much money. And when we realized that, we're like, how are we not helping all levels of people be lifted by all of the money that this industry creates. And so as we started to think about opening, you know, actually building a company that was across different cities and states, we realized that we had opportunity to create an equitable framework for cannabis. So we said, how do we create a business that is equitable on all levels? Like not just for us as owners who, of course, we want to make money and be able to pay our house notes and all that stuff. And so we came up with this three-prong equitable framework. So this first prong is non-accredited investors. In the United States, In order to invest in the stock market as an individual, not as a hedge fund, not as a 401K, but as an individual, you have to be an accredited investor, which means you have to have made $200,000 two years prior to your investment, the year of the investment, and expect to make that the year after the investment, or have a million dollars in liquid cash that doesn't include, include a primary residence. So this is how many black and brown people queer people, gay people, we don't make that kind of money. Like I couldn't invest in my own company. My mother couldn't invest in my own company. We don't have that kind of money. And that's how we don't get to create generational wealth. Think about people who invested in a Facebook or a Google when it was nothing, but they were accredited investors. So they got to invest so that when they went public, they made millions of dollars. You heard about all these people making millions of dollars, not a lot of black and brown people, formerly incarcerated people. And so what we did is we were like, wow, this is a way in which we could create generational wealth for people that are of color. We decided to sell our shares. The Oakland store was valued at $10 million a year ago, and we could technically have sold the shares for $10 a share, but we're trying to create generational wealth, right? So we sold them for a dollar in the hopes that we would build a strong and profitable company, which is what we're working to do, and that when we went IPO, People who put in $1,000, if the IPO was at, let's say, $50, they would have made a $50,000 return or $49,000 return on a $1,000 investment. And this is how you create generational wealth in communities that don't normally have access to creating that kind of wealth. So that was the first problem, right? And then the second problem was... How do we protect our employees? Because what we know is Oakland is incredibly expensive to live in. Not as expensive as San Francisco, but still really expensive. A one-bedroom apartment here or studio apartment here is like sixteen hundred dollars a month. And most people here make minimum wage. Like a lot of people, our people don't make minimum wage, but a lot of people, so it's really hard to live here. So, like, how can we get employees that are able to sustain themselves? in the city where they work. Because one of the things that we know for sure is that cannabis as an industry is about relationships. It's very much community oriented. So how do we keep our employees being able to live in the community that they're serving? So part of one of our benefits for our employees, depending on location, because each location is different, is that we provide a housing stipend as part of the benefit package. So we're going to make sure that you are making way more than minimum wage so that you can live. But even if you're making more than minimum wage, you have to really, really make a lot more than minimum wage just to live here. So if you have a stipend, you have more ideas and, you know, you can live in Oakland or you can live in San Francisco because you have the stipend based on what your what your living situation is. In some areas, that's different, like when we went to Fresno. And so now we have individual equity, we have employee equity, and now we have to think about what do we give to our community where we sit. Dispensaries make millions and millions of dollars, and they don't make them because everybody's coming from out of town, right? They make them usually from the people that live in that community that surround that dispensary. And so we're like, well, let's give 10% of our net profit, so net, not gross, I always have to make sure that distinction, into a community reinvestment fund. And that community reinvestment fund, we'll put the money in, and we'll pay for the administration of it. But we will not run it. Communities, people from that community, they have to be chosen and voted onto the board. They get a two-year stint. They run how that money gets distributed into that community. And it was really important for me, especially coming from Oakland, we have tons of amazing advocacy groups on the ground struggling because they get 501c3 money. So how cool would it be to have also this fund where they can also access what we call rapid response funds. So I can have a housing advocacy group come to us and be like, it's going to be 32 degrees tonight. We need to get 1,000 socks for homeless people. You don't have to write a grant. You don't have to wait three months to get that approved. We give you the card. We write you a check. We ask for the receipt. That's it. And you can go out and buy 1,000 pairs of socks, write that in there to distribute to the homeless. We wanted to create something like that. Additionally, with the Community Reinvestment Fund, there's three other ways in which we help. We can offer grants to people who have businesses that say they want to be in a cannabis business or another type of business. And you don't, it's not going to be a business that makes you a lot of money, but it's going to be a business that sustains your life.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's an extensive model. I mean, I, I think businesses can really learn from that. Yep. You've looked at housing benefit for the communities that have been affected by this product as well and put it yep. into your employee packages. And then, thirdly, you've got this amazing community reinvestment fund, which looks at, you know, the ability to create real change in people's lives, but actually also play back into your own business model, which I think is fantastic. And I mean, it's a great theory and I can certainly see the, you know, the impact that something like that has and thinking about really a circular economy to your your entire business and, and industry. So, hugely impressive. So yeah. if I came to work for you tomorrow, maybe I'm going to come and run your, one of your <laughs> funds. What would be the first thing I'd notice about the way you do things at the People's Dispensary and your other ventures?
1: I think that the very first thing that you would notice is the sense of community, a feeling like you belong. One of the things that I think made our Oakland Dispensary so popular, even though we're tiny, we're like 300 square feet, like a size of a one-car garage, and surrounding us, are eight huge dispensaries, like 3,000 to 6,000 square feet with every product under the sun. Why do we have 4,000 members that come for us when they can go to any of these without being members? And I think it's because when you come in, you see diversity. You see yourself. Right. You see queer people, trans people, black people, brown people, white people, all different kinds of people behind our counters. You have trans people, black people, white people, men, women, tall, short, fat, uh, thin, all kinds of people. So when you walk in, you're like, oh, yeah, I see myself here. I see myself Reflected back to me. I think that's the very first thing that you see. The second thing I think that you really see, although you didn't ask me for a second one, I'm gonna give you the second one. Do it. Is this um, <laughs> is being able to talk about cannabis in a very intelligent way. And all of our bed tenders who are the people that sell the cannabis get trained, understand what they're selling. So that when they're talking to people, it's not a transactional business for us. In a lot of places, you go in, you buy your weed, you go out, you're in there less than two to three minutes paying on lines. With us, there's some people that just want to come in and go, but most of our clientele have now realized that we can help them choose the cannabis that would better help them, not only health-wise, but even if they're just in a party mood, they're like, we just want to party. Okay, let's talk about what that looks like for you. And so we really talk to our clientele and I think that that is one of the reasons we've become so popular is because we have a customer service that a lot of the other places don't have. And we, and we know our people, like we have 4,000 people, but I can pretty much name people outside or I've, I remember them. Our bartenders are the same way. So I think that it's just an inclusive space. And I think that this is, where businesses should be going, and if they're not going there, they're not going to have a clientele.
0: Fantastic, and I, I think you are a key change maker in the cannabis industry, so which is why it's so fantastic to really hear your insights and what your approach is. I mean, we're certainly here in the UK in a very different place from a, a legal perspective, but I think just what you're progressing and pioneering with the models, the benefit alone to those communities who've been affected by cannabis is extraordinary what it has the potential to do so coming back to mentorship which is something we really care here about at work and can you tell me a little bit about what role mentorship has played in your own career
1: oh gosh so amazing um really great mentors, to be honest with you, all throughout my life, whether it was in college or the first job I had, or like the first businesses I opened. I think, of course, Marcus has been a great mentor. Sarah Batterby, who's out of Portland, Oregon, who helped me actually put together my first investor packet. And She's been a great mentor to me, like really, really amazing mentorship. What it's meant for me and how it's helped me is it's, it's not that I don't have, I have a vision, but you may have a vision and not know how to funnel that vision to a point where you actually create something. And I think mentors are really good at seeing that you have a vision or that you have an idea and helping you kind of like pinpoint how to execute that idea. And so for me, mentorship has really helped me do that. Like be like, I might not have an idea. I might have an idea, but not understand the framework. And my mentors have been like, well, let's put that in a framework. And I'm like, then I have to think about it more. And it's been great. Like, like it's been really helpful and sometimes incredibly painful. Let's be honest, like sometimes incredibly painful. Cause I'm like, I don't want it to be that way. They're like, well, it's this way. <laughs> and you have to work within this framework. And I'm like, damn it. And then sometimes it's been amazing. Cause I'm like, I don't like this framework. And they're like, Burn it down and create a new framework. And that's basically what I've done with this business, along with my other co founders, is we burned down this idea that industry can only be one way greedy, right? Wow. And so, because the thing that's really exciting about cannabis for me is that we, for the first time, let me put it this way because cannabis comes from people of color. Right? It comes from black and brown communities. It's been grown in black and brown communities. We can go all the way back into our ancestry in Mexico, in Africa, in China, where you can see how cannabis has been utilized as medicine for centuries. So this is the first time that we kind of are on the beginning part of it. We're like, like we weren't on the beginning part of it when tech was here. We weren't on the beginning part of it when They were doing the rainbows, we're not the beginning part. We've always been the workers, but never the people that have set the standard. And in cannabis, we have, for the very first time, an ability to set an industry standard based in equity for the first time. We're at the beginning. We're not in the middle. We're not at the end. And so for me, mentorship for me has been, how do I do that without knowing the pathways to do that? And so my mentors have really helped me
0: get that done. Wow, so they're really helping you point the light in the right direction, and then you're just going for it, essentially. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from Marcus, I'll never forget
1: this, I had gone to the Caymans, my first time in the Caymans, to speak about how to do impact investing in cannabis. This was the very first time I actually met Marcus, and so... I have never been around that much money, that many billionaires. It was really crazy to me. I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And I was looking at all these folks, and they had all of these events where you could eat and drink for free. And I was thinking about Oakland, where we have a huge homeless population that is so hard for them to get five dollars for coffee. And I'm sitting here with billionaires who are not having to pay for all the wine and liquor and fish and shrimp that they're eating. And Marcus is sitting next to me, and I think he saw my face, and I was because I was kind of like, "This is insane." And he leaned over very nonchalantly, and he said, you have to be on the Death Star to blow up the Death Star. <laughs> and I was like, at that moment, I had a, such calmness. I was like, I know what I have to do. But that's my introduction to Marcus.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. and I mean, I think really my my next question, I think, and know when you're building a business, and we spoke earlier about this, you know, it, it yeah. is hard. It does take time. It also takes much longer than you can ever humanly imagine when you start the the journey. But who do you pick up the phone to when things get tough?
1: Who do I pick up the phone when things get tough? My co-founders. So we have three other co-founders, Chaney Turner, Charlene Kaabai, and Michael Slicker. Michael and I have been friends for 27 years. Me and myself and the chicken for 11 years, Chaney also 11 years. So we've been knowing each other a minute. And what I found is, is that in the hardest times, I'm so grateful to have co founders. You have to rely on them because they've known you the longest. They might not have the answer that you need, but they can let you vent all your fears and worries and I don't know and this. And they don't have an answer, but they understand you. And sometimes it's not that you need the answer, you just need to vent because venting will get you to the answer. So they're the first people I call.
0: So, what is your superpower? I'm thinking you might have more than one given the conversation we've been having. And I think we've probably only touched the surface, but what is it?
1: I think my superpower, if I was to say that I had one, was an innate ability to understand where people are coming from and to meet them there. I think that, you know, this happens a lot in cannabis. Like, for me, I did not smoke cannabis before 2015 and the only reason I came to cannabis was because I was so sick. I almost died in 2010 from pulmonary embolisms, they diagnosed me with acute lupus at that point. They put me on 11 medications, 5 of them which were opioids, on any given day I took 11 medications. Every month I went to the hospital so they could give me a bedless infusion which cost $14,000 and that would allow me to walk with a cane for about a week and a half out of every 30 days. And my entrance to cannabis was I got fed up. I was taking all this medicine. I couldn't function. I couldn't focus. I couldn't work. And so when I found cannabis, I didn't know anything about it. I had to learn about it. And by learning about how CBD works, how THC works, I don't take any medication for my lupus anymore. So not 11 pills, no Oxycontin, no Tramadol, no Lyrica, Gabapentin, none of that stuff. I don't have to get an infusion. I walk just fine. I still have lupus. Sometimes I have flares. It's harder than some of the days, but I am no way as sick as I was taking all the prescription medication. And so I met myself there, right? I was like, I didn't believe that cannabis. I remember my friend was like, you should get a cannabis card. I'm like, I'm not trying to be high because I was uninformed, right? And I think that that gives me a lot of compassion for when I talk to elderly people who say, like, I don't want to get high. I used to say that. So I'd be like, okay, here's what we need to do.
0: Well, Christine, I have absolutely loved our conversation. I think you are pioneering an extraordinary model. I'm absolutely inspired by it. And I certainly hope our, our listeners can can really take this idea of how you look at impact investing in a completely different way. I've loved your approach to meeting people there and, and understanding the real truth behind why somebody needs something. And I think that's probably whether it's cannabis or not, but also just a completely different approach to cannabis. I think we're gonna see great things from you in the next few years, and I look forward to other countries really learning from what you're doing in the States and hope we can apply that elsewhere in the world to create real change.
1: Awesome, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've had a really great time.
0: Pleasure. You've been listening to the Work and With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes,